Hey y'all, welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Cody Stoffer, and we are going to continue this series of previewing every 11-man team in the state of Colorado. We've already talked, or at least on my episodes, 1 through 3A, mostly in the northern part of Colorado. Simon's kind of working inversely, you know, talking about a handful of 5A and 4A squads in the Springs and kind of gradually working their way down. And then following that, we are going to start tackling half episodes that feature a lot of Denver Metro teams. We're going to have a variety of ways to get this content to you. Make sure that you're tuning in on TikTok where we do short little previews of every program that has our window of wins for them. And, you know, speaking of that, I'm just going to talk about what the content is per every team. We talk about last year's recap, what went well, what went wrong, the graduating seniors from said experience last year, and then, you know, some returning playmakers and how that all figures in to their final record this upcoming season or our guess the wow which is how many wins they could possibly have this is a range of wins that we could see where you know some games being a coin toss they could go either way or you know maybe they pull off an upset against a team that seems a little more vulnerable this year than maybe they were last year and through that process determining what their final record will be and so with that being said, the very first team that I'm going to talk about today as I talk about last year's for a Northern One League is the Brighton Bulldogs. This was a team that, you know, went 500 during the course of the regular season, you know, kind of alternating wins and losses with, you know, starting off the season on a win, then dropping two, winning against Greeley Central, dropping another one, winning one, dropping two before finishing on a two game win streak to claw their way back up to 500. This was all before, you know, them facing Fruita Monument in the first round of the playoffs, a game in which they lost. But, you know, with the talent that they lost the previous year, feeling like a, you know, tough thing to bounce back from, I'd say that making the playoffs is a victory for this Brighton squad. And, uh, you know, their schedule is very balanced, and I think that they arguably beat the teams they were supposed to, quote, supposed to, in Prairie View... Greeley Central, Greeley West, you know, I'd say that Windsor and Silver Creek are very good wins, honestly, and maybe ones that, uh, or at least the Windsor one could have been deemed an upset of sorts. So, you know, you had some quality wins there and then they ended up losing to teams that they were quote supposed to. This is, you know, state runner up Chatfield. This is state or state champion. I should say is Chatfield state runner up in Erie, a playoff team in Broomfield with a very talented quarterback an undefeated regular season team in Dakota Ridge, right? These are very quality losses. And then, you know, an interesting loss to a Falcon squad uh, pre-sanctions. So, you know, they had all that going for them, but they will be, you know, having a chance to replace some talent this year. You know, the only member of this squad to make an all-state team was lineman Titan Snyder, who directed the line at center and also showed great next level, you know, capabilities as far as getting to linebackers in the run game. And, you know, I think that not only that, but the IQ from the center position is always something interesting to see how it is replaced. And then, you know, on top of losing their starting center, the guy who is taking handoffs behind Titan will also be graduating since Maxis Narrows was in the double digits of rushing scores on only 103 carries. And, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, Cisneros was also a stud pacing the team in tackles for loss with seven. 
you know, the guy handing the ball off to Max Cisneros and also throwing touchdowns graduated. Uh, Nathaniel Griffith, he'll be passing the torch following inefficient season. You know, it wasn't anything too flashy. It wasn't anything overly crazy, I should say. But throwing more touchdowns to interceptions is critical for most playoff teams, I would say. And he did exactly that with a 10 to 6 ratio, a.k.a. Uh, 5 to 3. And then, you know, a 57% completion percentage. This is not the cleanest amount of completions for a high school squad, but, you know, a solid one nonetheless. Then you also have senior athlete Nathan Canali, I want to say is how you say that, uh, who's responsible for over 1,000 yards of scrimmage, scored a combined 10 scores through the ground and the air. And, uh, you know, him and Cisneros were the leading return men for the squad with nearly 600 yards between the two of them. So not only are you losing threats, you know, for Canali in the air and ground and Cisneros on the ground and defense, but you're also losing special teams X factors too that give you short fields, make it easier to drive on offense and makes it harder on their special teams and defense. And then, you know, the next four leading pass catchers after Canali were also seniors and accumulated an additional 756 yards and six touchdowns, leaving only one receiving touchdown to return from last year. And, you know, with, with Cisneros departing and Canali, who was one of the top three tacklers, there's plenty of tackles to replace because fellow seniors Austin Casper and Lucas Munoz graduated. And between Canali, Casper, and Munoz, there is 150 tackles between the three of them and nearly 10 tackles for loss. Uh, but, you know, fortunately for the Bulldogs, no other seniors made up the top six in tackles. So, you know, looking to see who's going to step up in this, in the place of these guys. And I'm looking at three guys here themselves and Avery Clark, Augustine Munoz, and Dylan Bravo Packer, who, you know, were the three tackles, uh, three leading tacklers after those initial three with 53, 50, and 47 respectively, while tallying more collective tackles for loss with 16 and outpaced the top three leading tacklers in that in the offense's face, you know, you have Dylan Bravo Packer, who was solid at getting into the backfield. But then you also have returning class of 2023 sack leader for this Bulldog squad in Hayden Cuevas, who will be returning following his four sack season last year. And then Kevin Day was a revelation for this defense since as a sophomore, he led the team in both interceptions with three and in pass deflections with nine. Uh, I can see both these numbers taking dramatic steps forward with Canali and Munoz, you know, taking the rest of the picks with them across the graduation stage. So he will have to be more than he was this past season, but with the athleticism that he has in his tool belt, with the things that he was able to accomplish, I think that he could be a very good ball hawk in this secondary. And then you also have in very limited action, Ethan Huss, um, who outside of Canali Munoz and Kevin Day was the only person with interceptions he recorded two and you know this was in very limited action i want to say this was in four or five games so over the course of an entire season he could end up around five if he maintains that same pace so looking ahead to brighton's schedule this year they start off against 5a opponent eagle crest i think that that's probably going to be a loss that's pretty tough challenge with a team that just produces so many athletes every year they also have Diego Cerns returning to the fold. So 
I just don't know if Brighton quite has a guy to match up with him. Then, after that, you have a home game against Vista Peak Prep, back to 4A, before bouncing back to 5A with games against Fossil Ridge and Pooter. And after that, you have games against Prairie View, or Broomfield, I should say, at home, Prairie View, Mullen, Horizon, Rangeview, and Legacy. So, despite their conference right now saying 4A Northern 1 as well, they have a very 5A heavy schedule with one. Eight, eight of their games, eight of their 10 games are 5A, with the only 4A games being Broomfield and Vista Peak Prep, unless I stand need to stand corrected, but very 5A heavy schedule. You know, I think that this team will continue the tradition of being a tough squad, but I wouldn't necessarily put them on my list for contenders. Uh, if they make the playoffs this year, it will be from a more consistent running game, led by sophomore tailback Jordan Leet, who, you know, was capable of reaching a half thousand yards in only 74 carries and scored a touchdown on basically every nine rushes, right? So Jordan will be kind of the guy that this offense is turning to. You know, I think that they have a couple of returning offensive linemen, but they still have some questions under center. And so with that being said, I think that, you know, uh, their window of wins is a pretty wide one, right? Because if they can overcome some of these 5A challenges, they could potentially be a 500 team, right? Because I'm looking at this game against Eagle Crest, maybe 0-1. Perhaps they get this win against Vispeak Prep that can kind of go either way. So 1-1. One one. I don't know if they'll beat Fossil Ridge with uh, Tyler Kubat uh, and that passing attack. So then you're looking at 1-2 before a winnable game against Pooter at 2-2. Two and two. I don't think that they are able to beat the Eagles this year. So 2-3. Maybe they could be Prairie View, go to three and three. Then you have Mullen, Horizon, Rangeview, Legacy. You could go two and two in these games at best. But, you know, I have the window of wins on the low end of three because none of these wins are necessarily guaranteed. Um, all of these teams are good at something. They have players or capable of coaching at some degree or level. So that's why, you know, on the low end, I could see them only winning three games. But being the tough squad that they are, Four and six is not a bad year for this Brighton team that is playing a predominantly 5A schedule. Traveling just west of Brighton, though, we are going to talk about the Broomfield Eagles, a team that last year, you know, Simon and I were really high on and hailed as a potential state contender before, you know, some roadblocks got in the way. So how are they going to do from last year to this year? You know, I'd say that last year we saw a team that just had some frustrating losses to very similar teams. You know, uh, 29 to 22 loss to Golden, two losses to Longmont by a combined 12 points, including just three in the playoffs, and a 48 to 40 loss to Denver South. All of these teams, very pass heavy, talented quarterbacks, good receivers, right? So against similar teams, they just narrowly lost a handful of games. And, you know, I think that this defense was incredibly porous to other top offenses. Um, but to the Eagles' credit, you know, while maybe not in that tier of stake and tender that we thought last year, they still played incredibly well and bounced back from a 1-4 start and went 4-1 down the stretch to hit 500 and make the playoffs, right? So following only winning against Monarch up until Loveland, 
They then beat Windsor, Silver Creek, Brighton, Lost Erie, and beat Greeley West in order to get them a spot in the playoffs. And while I think that they are good for their league, they need to make some serious strides to be the contenders that they were once projected to be. Um, their season this past year was kind of like a Kroger version of Longmont is kind of the methodology that I'm using and stay tuned for the Longmont uh, season preview as well. But uh, you know, what they got going for them this upcoming season is that the quarterback who went through it returns on a tour with uh, D1 running and throwing ability and a mind that has improved over the offseason. But before we talk about that quarterback and some of the returning playmakers, I am going to go ahead and take a look at some of the best playmakers from the class of 2022 on this Broomfield squad, uh, some of which who I did a film breakdown on, including the likes of wide receiver Josh Dunn, 1,000-yard receiver, graded out as the best blocking receiver in the state, at least for the senior class. He had a decent bag when running routes and the ability to just muscle out some really tough jump ball situations. And, you know, I think that when you have a receiver like that, you create this reliance, you create this dependence on just this security blanket that can make so many great catches and is just so physically gifted and violent that, you know, losing Josh Dunn, who, you know, was a best of the rest guy, probably a top 10 receiver in the senior class. I can say that fairly easy, easily, honestly, that is going to be, you know, a hit for this passing game no matter who steps up or how you chop it up, just because of how talented he really was for the Eagles this past year. Additionally, you know, they're losing a versatile pass catcher in receiver slash tight end slash H-back, uh, Tristan Caudill, uh, who is a best-of-the-rest tight end with the ability to split out wide and use a tallish frame and wingspan to make some incredible snags. And in between Dunn and Caudill, the numbers two and three receivers um, who both reached a half thousand yards in uh, Detweiler and Naranjo, both also graduated, leaving an empty clip for this Broomfield squad at receiver. So there's going to be some serious questions to address. I saw some of their work in 7-on-7. Seven seven. They are making some strides. I just don't know if this receiving core is necessarily as talented as it was last year, but uh, fortunately they do have someone who could maybe help bridge that gap. But you know, losing a handful of snaps offensively, especially in the passing game, is tough. But the defense will be losing some big-time leaders in Bode Hogan, who is not only the leading tackler for this Broomfield squad, but one of the leading tacklers in all of state with 133 tackles. And then right after him, uh, Charlie Nevin recorded 82 tackles in only seven recorded games. You also have five interceptions walking across the stage. Um, including Ball, who led the team with two interceptions and eight pass deflections. So you're seeing some losses in the front seven. You're seeing a loss in the secondary. And obviously, you know, anything that Detweiler, Naranjo, Caudill, or Dunn contributed to the defensive side of the ball, that is also departing in this offseason, right? So plenty of question marks in some of these skill position areas. However, they do not have a question mark under center. They will be welcoming back, as I mentioned, a D1 talent in Cole LaCrue, who we've been eyeballing since his breakout sophomore season. And he did not disappoint this junior season here, posting 21 touchdowns to just six interceptions, 2,300 yards, and an additional eight rushing scores. So nearly 30 total touchdowns. He's just got a really physical play style and a big cannon that kept Broomfield competitive in games kind of outside of their realm, in all honesty. And, you know, while he's losing almost all of his receivers, 
I noticed that his mental game was taking strides, talking with him, following Broncos 7-on-7 seven seven and watching him operate there. I could see him helping his receivers out uh, quite a bit, taking what the defense gives him could develop this Broomfield team into a methodical offense that keeps their defense fresh anytime they get on the field. And so, you know, with the mental strides, with the big arm, you know, he's used to making big plays, right? But at times, you just have to take what the defense gives you. And this patience could help this defense that did allow, you know, a pretty decent amount of points last year in basically all of their losses, excluding one in the regular season, of course. Uh, their opponents were able to score over 30 points. But if you can turn out some long drives, if you can take your time on offense, keep their defense on their heels and your defense fresh, they are going to improve from last year. Uh, additionally, you know, you do have some talent returning on the defensive side of the ball. You have uh, Devin Fury, who led the Eagles in tackles for losses and sacks with six and a half and three and a half, respectively, and should only get stronger to eat up more runs at the line of scrimmage. Uh, you also have Keeler returning to the line, uh, tying for sacks with three and a half and being third on the squad with five and a half tackles for loss. So you have some members of this front line who will plan to contribute and take over games a little bit more, hopefully making it a little bit easier on this secondary that did lose some snaps, but also will be returning Brent Harris, second on the squad in pass deflections with six last year. But I think that, you know, with Devin and, you know, Keeler producing some pressure on the quarterback that Brent Harris must be tasked with turning some of these pass deflections into more interceptions, uh, you know, from from the past year, right? Because it's great and cool and all if you can force, you know, incompletions. That's obviously your first job. But in order to swing into that title contention conversation, you got to be able to force turnovers. And lastly, you also have Noah Biller, who was the third leading tackler last year with 57. That is a decent drop-off from the 133. Well, far cry from that. And then a decent drop-off from like the 82 of that second place guy. But, you know, Biller is just one of, you know, five who will be returning of the top eight tacklers from last season. Uh, this episode is going to have quite a few weird phrases like that. So just stay tuned. But what I'm saying is, you know, only three of the top eight tacklers graduated last season. So you do have a decent amount of talent coming back. Maybe with that experience, they can make some more plays. And, you know, with more experience, they can just perform better overall this season. And I think that a glaring thing that I noticed was that this team was just not very good on the road. They only won one game on the road all season. It was against Silver Creek, which is a game that they should win. But starting off with three straight road games and losing three straight road games to playoff teams is just not great for confidence, right? Um, and I think that they they must improve on the road, but also must maintain their dominance at home. Last year at home, they went 4-1, so they must continue that while also bridging the gap between wins and losses on the road. And I think that, you know, looking back on this 2021 season, I think that you can most easily define where this team was at with the fact that their point differential was zero. Zero. A point differential of zero. That is as, you know, in the middle as you could be. It's as mediocre as you could be, right? Uh, as they scored 306 points, but also allowed 306 points. And that is what will land you at 500 and a first round playoff exit, right? 
Um, you know, the defense, they're below the national average in interceptions, in sacks, in tackles for loss. So they're going to have to force more turnovers, make more splash plays, and just be more disruptive in order to kind of move into that contender echelon, right? Um, I could see the Eagles alternating wins and losses through the season. But, uh, you know, I think that they're going to have a chance to avenge their two losses from last year to Longmont with a win in the very opening week, right? Um, and then they'll they'll have a chance for the battle of Broomfield against a good Holy Family squad that will test them. Uh, following that, they got a very athletic and gifted Vista Peak prep team and Erie before facing off against Brighton and Dakota Ridge, right? Um, after Brighton and Dakota Ridge, uh, you know, I think that they've already gone through the hardest part of their schedule by that point, right? Uh, I think in league, they have a chance to go 4-0 or 3-1 to finish the season with uh, Fruit of Monument kind of being the only big question mark, maybe Aurora Central as well, but they should take care of business against Adam City as well as Heritage, right? So, you know, I think that the floor for Broomfield should be six and four, right? So that's saying that they beat Longmont, lose to Holy Family, beat Vista Peak, lose to Erie, beat Brighton, and lose to Dakota Ridge, starting off three and three before, you know, going three and one for that six and four record through league. But on the high upside, right, you win your first three games, you start off three and oh, probably struggle a little bit against this Erie team. If you can play spoiler, that's obviously fantastic for playoff seeding. But if you don't win this game, not a huge deal. Go 3-1, and 4-1 against Brighton, and then 4-2 and two probably against this Dakota Ridge squad before rattling off four wins in league, winning your league, and going 8-2, and two, right? So between the floor at 6-4 and four and the upside of 8-2, and two, I see a window of wins of 6-8. to eight. This is obviously improved from last season, which is the most important part. And, you know, this team will go as far as not Cola Cruz arms, not Cola Cruz legs, but as far as Cola Cruz mind and this defense allow it to, right? Those are the big X factors between, you know, the window of wins being greater by two wins, right? So just focusing a little bit more, hunkering down my expectations. Obviously, I want every team to outperform the expectations that I have placed on them, but that is where I stand following this last season, this graduating class and the playmakers that they have coming back to the fold. Not to be outdone, however, as far as capturing big time attention, you know, I'm gonna be talking about these Tigers out of Erie who only in their second year in 4A had the second best season in 4A and were spearheaded by a generational quarterback, a dynamic defense, a ground and pound run game. And they knocked around all of their regular season opponents before having some stellar finishes or comebacks in the quarterfinals with a 28 to 18 winner over constant uh, contender Palmer Ridge. And then the semis in a 29 to 28 win over the number one seeded Montrose for a last second touchdown by Chatfield dashed their hopes in states. They'll be graduating a lot of collegiate talent, but they're bringing back some big names as well. And so just looking through the schedule, I mean, they literally just walked through all of these objects like shadow cat and X-Men, right? Uh, 64-14 against Hinkley, 29-7 Pueblo East, 39-21 Bear Creek, playoff team, 50-6 against Longmont. Uh, I'm going to just put a small asterisk here. I still think that they win this game, but Keegan Patterson did not play. 
49-0 against Skyline, 51-21 against Silver Creek, 47-27 against Brighton, 46-7 Greeley West, 49-21 against Broomfield playoff team, 41-0 Windsor playoff team, 50-26 to end Fruit of Monuments playoff run because Erie had a first round bye and then, you know, wins against Palmer Ridge and Montrose before that state championship game against Chatfield. That was very up and down and I'll talk a little bit about that here in a second. But before that, I'm going to pay some respect to the class of 2022. That includes Kansas State commit John Pastor, who was, you know, a phenomenal tackle for this Erie team who is effective both in the run and pass game. He was very strong, used to handling one-on-one -on -one situations, but also very cognitive, able to pick up blitzes, able to pass off blocks and pick up second blocks. and was just overall very sound in a variety of ways for these Tigers. Additionally, you know, for the second graduating class in a row, the Tigers are tasked with replacing a very talented running back. This, you know, two years ago, it was Mason Vive. This year, it is in the hard-nosed Caleb Tyson, who averaged, averaged 128 rushing yards per game and ran for 27 touchdowns. Look, it's one thing to replace Mason, but it's going to be a whole other thing to replace Caleb, who... I mean, you could make an argument that he benefited from Blake Barnett's running ability, but that only does so much. I saw this guy rip off big runs at opportune times, very physical, great stiff arm, and then his acceleration down the sideline, he was never caught from behind, at least in any of the film that I watched. So, you know, a great combination of power and speed. Overall, a great guy, by the way, and definitely a member of PMC fam, and he will be missed on the high school level, both by, you know, us in the high school football community, just because of what he was able to accomplish as a player and athlete, but also, you know, for this Erie squad, his demeanor, his, you know, positivity and his leadership in capacities, as well as just the relationship that he had with this community was something that was extremely special. And for all those reasons will be quite hard to replace. And that's not even the tip of the iceberg for all the skill position players who did graduate this past year. The Tigers will be seeing five of their six leading receivers graduate as Klickna, Nichols, Tyson, Oxiger, and Francisco all collected at least 150 yards last year and were responsible for 65% of all receiving touchdowns. Now, obviously you have some solid route runners. You have guys who are great after the catch. You have very physical receivers in Oxiger. You have guys like Caleb who could take a short pass and turn up field with it. So there's just a huge variety of skill that is walking out the door. <clears throat> Defensively, you're losing very solid seniors who are contributors in CJ Reeves, who paced this team in tackles, Ryan McConnell, who was second team All-State, and Gavin Malik, who, you know, was responsible for 56 tackles himself and also the leader of tackles for loss with 10. McConnell was second in sacks, and Reeves was tied for Caleb for second on the team in interceptions with three apiece, not to mention he recovered three fumbles, which was second, only to McConnell's four fumble recoveries on four forced fumbles. So just a handful of turnovers in this turnover tornado walking out the door, and I mean, while they are going to be able to replace or fill or find ways around this there's just a level of 
dynamic that is not going to be coming from these players right here, right? These guys, very sturdy, very well built too. Uh, a lot of these guys range in that six foot, 200 to 210 pound range. And we're just strong, dedicated, driven. And, you know, I think that really, really, they were ready to win state. Um, you know, just a couple of things just don't go quite their way in that state game. Um, but was a very thrilling one of two very, very talented teams on both sides of the ball, right? And then, <clears throat> excuse me, lastly, you have Jeff Cooper, uh, who's just another one of many on this defense causing problems for opposing offenses, being second on the team with three forced fumbles. And, you know, he had an interception and the highest return average since he returned it for 46 yards on just the one play. So, Talking about returning playmakers, you know, defense is a major concern for this squad through my lens, but it's not like they don't have playmakers returning to the fold. The secondary was paced by Trey Kana last year uh, with a whopping 13 pass deflections and four interceptions. And then, you know, he'll have an additional two juniors who combined for seven pass deflections and two interceptions. So you're going to have, you know, a secondary that is still very capable of making plays, breaking a ball and, you know, occasionally ripping away the pass from you know receivers and whatnot they'll have to still take a step forward for sure but it's nice to see a secondary return because i think you need to be able to force turnovers to make a run towards state against good quarterbacks so i think that they still have people with those cap capabilities you're also returning uh derrick hall who was just an all-around havoc wreaker last season collecting 50 tackles batting multiple passes forcing fumbles and even collecting an interception in his own right and has plenty of room for opportunity to make plays this upcoming season with you know the amount of talent leaving in that front seven i feel like you can't talk about this eerie squad without talking about from last year jackson cowgill who only as a sophomore had way more of an argument to be on an all-state team following a season that saw his 6'5 240 slash 240 to 250 pound frame Pace this eerie squad with 10 sacks, four hurries, and five tackles for loss, including a dominant showing with a handful of hurries, sacks, and tackles for loss against Palmer Ridge and against some of the top-rated linemen in the state. He's basically impossible to beat one-on-one. -on -one. A lot of teams are first to double him. And, you know, if he gets just a step faster, he could collect even more sacks as a junior this season. So, you know, watching his film, he's somebody who's very impressive to me, somebody who I think can step in and, you know, make plays in place of, you know, a Ryan McConnell as far as getting in the backfield and getting tackles for loss in place of Gavin Malik, right? So you're looking at Jackson Cowbill to fill a lot of these gaps in addition to Derek Hall and this secondary. Additionally, you also have Darian Burnett, who wasn't too shabby getting to the quarterback himself, collecting four sacks this past season, but... You know, despite losing the top three tacklers from last season, they will be returning six of the next eight leading tacklers outside of that. So in other words, out of the top 11, they're returning over 50% of the leading tacklers from last season. I think that makes for, you know, a good way to transition to this next year. And, you know, looking at what they're also getting back on the line, you do have Logan Gilmore, who, while he can probably take some snaps on the defensive side of the ball, he's somebody who's probably looking to make a bigger impact and take some strides in his game following, you know, a second team all-state appearance. And he'll have to play to the whistle more often and play a bit more balanced and over himself uh, to replicate 
his success from last year with Pastor leading. These guys were on the same side of the line a handful of times on the field. And so when you have a very elite tackle like that, it takes some pressure off of you as a guard. But Logan Gilmore, whether he's going to play guard this year, whether he's going to be moved to somewhere else on the line, he's still going to have to step up. And so will everyone else on the offensive line with that loss, as well as on the defensive line. You know, John was a contributor on the defensive line too. So we will see probably a little bit more of that. Fully transitioning to the offensive side, I'm going to talk about Caden Lettuce, who, you know, he'll be wide receiver one after having the highest yards per catch of any receiver on this team last year with 20 plus receptions, that is. And, you know, he also tied for the team lead with eight scores. Uh, in addition to, you know, being able to take the ball upfield and, you know, catch the velocity of some of these Barnett throws, he's also quite the blocking receiver. And, was responsible for a handful of Caleb's up the sideline runs, especially if you're looking on the left side or any downfield blocking of any kind. He opened up a lot of opportunities, just being very disciplined, keeping his feet moving and making sure that his pad level is remaining constant and in the way, right? So you have a very balanced receiver here. He has more than enough receptions and touchdowns to make up for. However, I think the skill is there if he can develop his route tree a little bit more just because his route variety wasn't the craziest. And before I jump into Erie's window of wins here, don't think that I forgot about Playmaker's corner, most valuable playmaker from the 21 season in 4A with Blake Barnett, who is a member of the 3,550 plus 3,500 yard plus, I should say, and 50 plus touchdown club. Throwing and running rampant through the state of Colorado, Erie's title run would not have been possible without Barnett on the field, who has been sensational since a freshman. Jump back to episode 138, where Coach V and I broke down his film on a Twitch stream and graded him at an 80.3 out of 100. And, you know, while he's definitely the guy heading into this next season, He's going to have to be a little bit more than he was as evidenced in the state championship game if Erie wants to win a state championship during his time here, right? I want to say that, you know, I saw him throw against the Ducks. Uh, you know, granted, this is like 7v7 stuff, right? So take this with a grain of salt, if you will. But against the Ducks, he did not have the most impressive showing. And minus his legs, he definitely needs to grow mentally as a passer if Erie is not only to win state this year, but to even go as far as state this year with a ton of the talent that they lost. So let's look ahead to this schedule. And, you know, I think that in an absolute nightmare alternate reality, Erie still doesn't do any worse than six and four uh, this season. They start off the season against Ponderosa, who saw their quarterback, Andrew Heidel, uh, move to Florida. So they have some question marks under center. I think that this is a winnable game. Then following that, they have a 5A opponent in Mullen. Worst case, you could predict this as a loss, but I still think that this is probably a win before they face Montrose as a rematch from last year. I think that it could shake either way, but on the flip side, they do get to play this game in Erie, which I think is massive. Uh, they might drop one of the next three. I'd say out of that four-game stretch, they probably end up dropping one between Montrose, Broomfield, Windsor, and Loveland. I think that Windsor has a lot of returning talent. 
this next year and stay tuned for later in the episode when I'll discuss that. Same with Loveland, who has a very stout defense. I just talked about Broomfield. We know that they're offensively gifted, but defensively maybe have some things to work on. Um, you know, Windsor, they could be hungry for an upset. Uh, a Loveland squad could force a lot of turnovers if Barnett plays too irresponsible, as he kind of did in the state championship game against another quality defense in Chatfield. But even if they don't play great in these games, I think that 2-1 is my projection and also would not be surprised if they go 3-0 before ripping through their league for a league title against the likes of Monarch, Silver Creek, Longmont, and Greeley West, right? So that makes Erie's window of wins, in my eyes, 8-9. to nine. Uh, I think that you have a win against Ponderosa, a win against Mullen, and then one of these four games against Montrose, Broomfield, Windsor, Loveland, you might drop one, maximum two of those, right? So that's where the eight comes from because say you lose to like a Montrose and a Loveland, that still puts you at four and two before heading into league and going eight and two. If they only drop one of these games, they go nine and one. They do play Loveland on the road, which I think is making it probably the most likely game that they can lose uh, just because these two teams are built pretty similarly with very strong defenses and then, you know, an offense that can kind of do a handful of things. And Loveland is very similarly built, I'd say, to a Chatfield team that was the only team to beat Erie last year behind the hands of, you know, athletic playmakers in the backfield, right? Um, but they do have Montrose at home. That helps. So 9-1 and one is probably my projected record for Erie. And, you know, this squad, they may also go undefeated. Wouldn't surprise me. And they've graduated plenty, but the talent pool in Erie is just absurd. Since they reloaded last year very well from a solid, you know, class of 21 graduating class. And they have a quarterback who has an argument as the second best quarterback in the state, regardless of class, right? So they have a lot of things going for them. They're a very talented team, just like they were last year. But I'm going to have to see some less mental mistakes and greediness from Barnett under center and some mental growth if this team is to make a championship run. Now, we have a bit of a transition here as we go back to my roots here at Greeley West High School. And, you know, this Spartan squad, they've been in an odd spot the past few years, being torn between talent and identity and COVID and a rebuilding school. It's been a tough go, for sure. Um, they have not won a varsity game since October 4th, 2019. Uh, but despite the record and the the lack of posted stats here, there's still talent on this team. And, you know, there'll be some changes to some degree uh, as they did hire Boulder defensive coordinator, John Hickey. So he's looking to flip the script here, but uh, he'll have to be creative for, for this defense since, you know, last year's Panther squad averaged, you know, 28 and a half points allowed per contest last year. But that's still an improvement from a Spartan team that over the past 15 games have allowed a whopping 43 points per game. So any improvement is more improvement, but that is just not a winning formula. Um, you know, in this section of graduating seniors, this is a tough one for me since I coached these fellas a couple years ago. But I think one of the biggest, if not the biggest loss might be Alexis Irzuri, um, who as a defensive back was quick. He had good ball slash pass deflection skills. He's able to keep his hand on hips a handful of time. He was reliable in man. He was also reliable in like a deep cover three kind of look. 
but you know it looks like offensively he contributed a lot more as a senior than he was asked to do as a junior and or sophomore so you know you have that going for him and the fact that and against this spartan squad who will be losing his ability to just accelerate on a dime and the burst that he brought to uh, a bit of a tailback position Additionally, you also have Martinez, who is a focal point for the Spartan squad and could rip off some big rushing plays at a time. But I mean, between that and the 2020 year where they had a huge turnover on the offensive line uh, in that class of 21, it's been it's been a rebuilding past few seasons for Greeley West. And I think that this year is kind of no different. Um, but, you know, this class of 2024 squad and you know a lot of these players that i coach i think are where the heart of this team will be heading into this year as well as next year you have uh tailback slash linebacker david lopez who was a varsity starter as a freshman a very solid tight end who you know could catch the ball really well move very well at a decent size i think that he put on a little too much weight last year for a tailback so if he can get toned do some work in the weight room and get that weight evenly distributed. He could be an absolute menace on both sides of the ball and one of the best backs in this upcoming conference. You also have uh, Tyler Vale, who is another player who'd been in and out of the rotation on varsity and could really contribute on the field, I think, as a defensive end, as a tight end. He could play both ways. I think that he could score a handful of touchdowns. He has pretty decent speed at his size. He has been pretty strong since a freshman. It's just a matter of keeping him mentally in tune here heading forward. <clears throat> I also think that incoming junior quarterback, Omar, he's my guy here. He's always been an athletic kid, but following a couple leg injuries, he will have to adopt to a smarter level of football. You know, he has worked on his throwing mechanics. Those have improved considerably since freshman year. He's gotten rid of a hitch that he had so his throwing motion is quicker i've seen some film of him working on timing routes this off season and i think that his timing is dramatically improved it's just a matter of making those decisions and what reads will he be asked to do in this upcoming season you know this offense is going to look very very different you know in years past it kind of was a multiple offense with you know wing t shotgun i form strong pistol right it was pretty you know, diverse, but the playbook's going to be simplified quite a bit this year. And I think that will be integral to the growth of a handful of these class of 2024 players and will help answer some questions that did arise. And then lastly, you can't talk about Greeley West football without talking about all conference Jose Salas, who's just an extremely athletic safety slot receiver running back uh, who just needs to keep grades up in the classroom to stay on the field and make plays. And, you know, these are my boys. I know the talent is there, but following a tough COVID season, their school is being deconstructed and reconstructed simultaneously. So they're experiencing a lot of changes in the classroom. They actually really haven't had a normal school year, I want to say, since 2019, where their last, you know, winning game was. And while no school has had a normal school year, so to speak, since COVID started, I still think that it's worth mentioning that this school was approved for, you know, deconstruction and reconstruction. It's hard to learn in the environment where they're in with like leaks and bats and stuff. So this new building, I think, will be really good for morale, not only for this football team, but for the whole school. So depending on the process of that construction, 
could impact this team depending on how John Hickey does and you know what his philosophy will be and how he will enact that philosophy will be something that I will be paying close attention to to see how it compares and or contrasts to the previous staff that I was part of back in 2020 and you know I'm not completely sold on Hickey yet I think it's very interesting that he was a defensive coordinator for a team that allowed 28 and a half points per game last year and then ends up with a head coaching job. But, you know, they start off with a debatably winnable game against Mountain Range here, a team that John Hickey did beat down last year as a part of Boulder's staff um, before a tough slew of games that starts with, you know, a uh, rematch from last year, Bear Creek, a team that is losing a lot of talent, but nonetheless has a pretty solid reputation and is trying to be a football school once again then they have thomas jefferson who also had a lot of graduates before facing northridge who is a 3a contender so despite it being a game against a 3a opponent this is one of the best 3a teams and one that could easily win state on the 3a level so don't sleep on that game i think that uh best case scenario they could go two and two here but more realistically I have them going one and three before diving into a really tough league here. In league, they have a solid Silver Creek squad, a Longmont squad, Greeley Central, Windsor, Monarch, and Erie. So, you know, they're trying to compete heavily in league this year with six league games, right? A handful of teams are only playing five or so. So I think that even a single win would be revolutionary this season. And when you have matchups against TJ, a dwindling Bear Creek, against Mountain Range, and another struggling set of programs in Monarch and Greeley Central, you've got to win one to two of these games to win the trust of the athletes. I know that if slash when they win a game this year, it could be the start of something special. I think that one domino just needs to fall in that a lot of these athletes don't know what it's like to win on the varsity level. Actually, I don't think any of them know what it's like to win on the varsity level, right? So it'll be very interesting to see what they're able to produce. I know that freshman year, we did win a game against Loveland's freshman team. I That's what gives me so much faith in the talent there, but we will have to see what the coaching staff uh, looks like. I'm not even sure who's still on the coaching staff or if the Boulder guy brought in his own set of coaches but it will be very interesting to see where this team is at this year i think that they can win a game and snap this very long losing streak that has plagued them so long and then once they win a single game and get a taste for it i could see it going uphill for the spartans and speaking of league opponents i did mention silver creek and the raptors will be the next team that we discuss here and you know, last year's recap is an interesting one. This squad started off with three dominant wins, 37-9 over Mountain View, 36-20 over Centaurus, and 58-0 to Mitchell before dropping six of their next seven and missing the postseason. They were typically a tough win for a handful of teams. You know, Skyline, they only lost that game 17-7. And then against Longmont, they lost that game 45-33. Erie and Broomfield were bigger losses before a five-point loss to Windsor. They finally snapped their losing streak to with a win over Greeley West and then a three-point loss to Brighton, right? So just a handful of frustrating losses. Um, but, you know, 
they they have some stellar athletes and had some in a what would I call a bounce back campaign for Raptors that did not win a game the previous year but uh, they're going to need some more help to post their first winning season since 2016 in 3A that saw them go 12 and 1. And you know, I think that some of the biggest hits will be in the passing game that sees 1517 of its 1767 yards graduating and another 15 touchdowns, including first-team all-conference receiver Eli Hubert, whose change of pace and acceleration was deadly to defenses and was nicely complemented by Bridger Sutherland's athletic ability, both running and catching the ball for the offense. The guy delivering these passes, Bryce Gore, um, completed 58% of his passes to the tune of 15 touchdowns to six interceptions and 1,600 yards. So you're losing... Lots of receiving talent. You're losing the guy who is developing and, you know, making these passes. Uh, Rodriguez or Donas Enriquez was second on the team in receiving, and he's graduating. And that's not even the worst news since on defense, he was the leader with 81 tackles and was is just one of the top four tacklers graduating with Dostal graduating with 70 tackles, 10 of those being for loss. Stevens, who had 69 tackles, nice, and four of those were for loss, as well as offensive stud Eli Huber. Um, the next three leading tacklers after that are juniors, but the five players following that are all seniors. So plenty of snaps are going to be missing. Plenty of snaps will need to be addressed. And, you know, on top of making plenty of receptions on offense, Bridger Sutherland was also very talented on defense, as was Huber. Both were playmakers, combining for six picks, nine pass deflections, and over 270 interception return yards between just the two of them. That's more scrimmage yards than the majority of people, um, or underclassmen, I should say, on offense, maybe even combined. So that's a little troubling that you're losing defense that not only was able to force turnovers, but playmake off of those turnovers. Uh, additionally, you know, on the line, you have uh, Joseph Dostal, um, who's not only second in tackles for loss, or in second in tackles, I should say, but was the leader in tackles for loss and forced fumbles with two and was responsible for one of four recovered fumbles last year, taking it 75 yards back to the house. And they're also losing Tanner, who was a captain for this Silver Creek squad. He was a solid sized lineman to lose at six foot one, 250 pounds. So you're kind of losing some serious talent on all three levels defensively on multiple levels offensively in a pass or get left behind kind of transition that we're seeing in football and in this state it hurts to see all of this talent depart for sure um there's plenty of reasons for concern for the raptors but i also think that there's some reasons for optimism here uh from the looks of last year the only non-senior to get snaps at qb was elijah myers who on 34 attempts completed 15 passes for a touchdown and a pick I think that this is acceptable and fairly standard on backup snaps. So I think that, you know, he has some varsity experience. He understands the playbook with an entire offseason. He probably should, well, he should have learned the entire playbook, explored the system very well. And, um, you know, I think we'll have quite the understanding and be set up for some success. Uh, while he is losing a lot of the weapons that Bryce had just the season prior, he will be getting back a, you know, incoming junior in Cole Rogers, who had the most carries and yards out of this backfield 
with 580 yards on just 98 carries and five scores and only nine recorded slash played games. And, you know, with two juniors at quarterback and running back, there's some stability coming back to this offense that could spell wonders. When you have a tailback coming back, that obviously makes it easier on the quarterback who doesn't have to do as much as maybe Bryce did last year with a stabilizing force in the backfield. Additionally, you have Maddox Schaefer returning to a defense in need of leadership, being the sack leader from last year with four and a half and the only returning player with more than two tackles for loss. And will also probably be looked to as a leader on the offensive line that graduated some talent. As a junior at safety, Luke Riders or Ritters recorded 42 tackles, but wasn't particularly particularly disruptive in the run game with no tackles for loss recorded. However, he was a stud on the defensive end with three pass breakups and an interception. And him combined with Aiden Helm will try and ease the losses in the secondary. Um, since Aiden had multiple interceptions and pass and five pass deflections and will be returning for this Raptor squad. And so looking ahead to next season, you know, this last year they had a tough schedule. I don't know if it necessarily gets easier this year. They open up at home against Prairie View before going on the road to Golden and Boulder, facing a very solid 3A squad in Frederick at home. Greeley West at home. Then they have their stretch of Longmont games against Skyline and the Trojans before finishing their season against Erie, Central, and Monarch. And so looking at this, I think that they probably end up one and two before heading to Frederick. Um, I think that Frederick's a team that could potentially cause them some fits. And so they could end up in a one and three hole here before probably getting back into the win column against Greeley West, two and three. I don't think that they have the talent to beat Skyline. I do think that they'll be competitive, but I don't know if they'll beat Skyline. But I do think that they have a chance at avenging their loss against Longmont last year. This is a game that could easily go either way. So, you know, at two and four, they could end up two and five here. If they can go three and four right here, I think that is excellent because following that, they do have probably a scheduled loss against Erie, putting them at three and five and then very winnable games against Central and Monarch to go potentially 5-5. Five and five. Um, <clears throat> Look, I think that their wow here is basically 4-5. to five. Um, I think a lot of it depends on this game against Longmont, and then I may be overestimating them in these first three games to go 1-2, and two, but I don't think I am. I think that between Prairie View or Boulder, they could win one of those games against a 5A squad, but even if they don't, um, they could still go four and six and depending on how they fare in these games could make the playoffs, but maybe just like last year, just on the outside looking in. The last team I'm going to discuss on this segment is going to be the Wizards of Windsor who, you know, last year uh, they lived up to their gritty reputation going four and six against a grueling schedule prior to a first-round exit to Bear Creek. And, you know, they played some very interesting games this year that included a six-point loss to Vista Ridge to start the season before beating 5A Fossil Ridge by three and then throttling a talented Trojan team before a three-game skid to all playoff teams by a combined 25 points, those teams being Powerhouse Loveland, who they only lost to by seven, Bear Creek in a game where one player had a career game, and Broomfield before bouncing back with wins over Greeley West and Silver Creek and then dropping their last three that included a second loss to a very deep Bear Creek 
the squad, right? So they had a very up and down kind of season, very back and forth. I think they had some young players here, but that's not to say that no talent graduated. Uh, in the class of 22, you are losing the leader in carries and scores this past year, Dax Polka, who carried the rock or toted the rock 166 times for 900 yards and 16 scores, being half of the team's total rushing touchdowns. You also have Adam Lieber being the leader in pass yards for a passing attack um, that wasn't used often and maybe wasn't the most efficient, but was the leader in passing yards. Uh, all in all, this defense is returning uh, some talent, but will be with out the only tackler to eclipse the century mark in Carson uh Kirsten Zanowski oh my gosh I probably butchered that to next year but Carson uh not only notched 118 tackles but seven of those were for loss he had a sack two interceptions and a fumble recovery so he was a do-it-all player on defense that's going to be hard to kind of fill you know uh, especially being the only one who broke that hundred tackle number uh, you also have an additional member of this squad departing in the secondary in Zach Bleck or Blecky, uh, who recorded team leading 18 pass deflections and converted a couple of those into interceptions. And lastly, you have Mitchell Langman, who is a second team All-State interior offensive and defensive lineman whose stout frame and experience will be worth mentioning as a, as a piece that will have to be replaced, right? So they're losing, you know, Definitely solid contributors on both sides of the ball, especially, you know, for Windsor and very important positions of that middle linebacker and that tailback, tailback position. I don't know why I turned into Taika Waititi there, but, uh, you know, this backfield will be returning some serious talent. I'm calling this backfield TNT because you have Jaden and Chase Thomas. You have the Thomases and, you know, they contributed for 1,500 total yards and nine touchdowns last season on the ground. They also showed the ability to run routes and catch some pretty deep passes on play action, whether it's straight across the field or backside drags or frontside flats. And, you know, with Jaden's explosiveness and Chase's scat-like footwork, this backfield will be a handful, an absolute dynamite for any, you know, opponents. I think that Additionally, with both these guys coming back, if Chase can limit his fumbles after coughing it up three times last season, they will only continue to be more efficient. They will only continue to produce big plays and be more explosive. And, you know, the Wizards are going to have some TNT in this backfield that opponents are going to have to game plan and strategize for. But, you know, I think that this Windsor team has a chance to be way more balanced than last season. Uh, despite losing their leader in pass yards, they do have Sauer returning, who saw plenty of snaps last season and ended the season with a positive touchdown to interception ratio, while also tacking on another two rushing scores to be in prime spot under center. Uh, not only was he in the positives for TD to INT ratio and rushing the ball in a couple of times, but he's got an incredible frame at six foot three, 215 pounds. That is a next level quarterback frame. He has got to get his arm strength. Uh, just a little bit stronger here, and they can really stretch the field and be even more opportune on some big splash plays than they were last year, uh, despite showing, you know, the ability to do so at varying times. In addition, you have the leading receiver, uh, Hademan, returning to the fold after catching all of the Wizards recorded throwing touchdowns last season. I say recorded because I'm pretty sure that Chaser Jaden caught one, but um, regardless, 
You do have a receiver returning who's a receiver and not a tailback. And, you know, I think that this defense will take a massive step forward this year. Seven of their top 11 tacklers are including are, are returning, including a pair in Colton Piper and Robert Taylor, who combined for 86 tackles, 10 of which for loss. Piper was the team leader in tackles for loss with a as only a sophomore and freshman, respectively. Uh, sophomore Colton was this squad's sack leader with five and will be joined by fellow sophomore Pendleton, who was second in sacks last year. And uh, both of these guys will probably get to the quarterback even more so in their junior season. While talent coming back to disrupt the quarterback um, is great, I think that it'll even be greater for seniors Zach Johnson and Trey Batts, uh, who've got to be licking their chops following getting two interceptions apiece last season. I think that with more steady pass rush consistency and development from some of these younger guys on that defensive line, it'll convert to more interceptions especially if the Batsman uh, can convert more of his 13 pass deflections into picks. This Windsor offense is built to thrive on short fields and just hammer teams. I think that this could be a very complimentary sound football team and one that will produce plenty of wins this year. Not only are they returning talent under center, at tailback, at receiver on offense, and then in the secondary, on the second level, and on the defensive line, but offensively, you know, this roster had three number 77s who all weighed at least 220 pounds and whichever one it is, uh, moved very well on the film. On top of that, you have incoming senior Jackson Harden, who weighed 280 pounds last year. You had last year's freshman Jordan Monique finding himself in varsity situations at tackle at 255 pounds. And, you know, if he improved his footwork slash leverage over the offseason, he could be one of those next great four-year lineman starters in Colorado. And overall, four of the five offensive linemen return, but the depth at offensive line size-wise is just incredible. This Windsor team is going to be very rude and aggressive up front, and that should translate to a successful season. You know, they start off the season against uh, 3A state runner-up Meade. I think that this is a winnable game, and I think that following that, they should be able to beat Longmont, before, you know, they do have a pretty tough three-game stretch here, including two 5A opponents in Fort Collins, Fossil Ridge, and then concluding that with a game on the road against Erie. I see them probably pretty realistically going one and two in these games. Maybe they could beat Fort Collins. I don't know if they could beat Fossil Ridge or Erie. Uh, but worst case scenario, you're probably two and three heading in or two and two heading into league and then probably dropping that game against Erie. But, um, you know, I think that there's an upside of three and one. And I think a closer game against Erie is in the cards. I think that this defense is going to challenge Blake Barnett. I think that this offensive and defensive line will be some of the best that Erie faces all year during the regular season. And that'll make for what I think is going to be a classic game here. And one that I just added to the PMC schedule uh, while I paused the recording. So, you know, that's a possibility of a game that we could make it out to. But following that, they have games against Greeley Central, Skyline, Greeley West, and Loveland to close out the season. I think that they'll have the beef up front to give Skyline and Loveland runs for their money. And all in all, I don't think that Wizards' record really depends on what they do, but rather how other teams react to their vicious front seven and... If any of these teams end up falling behind to Windsor, 
they're done. Um, their chances of winning bibbidi-bobbidi vanish because that's right where Windsor wants you. They want you to have to throw the ball more so that they can dial up a more aggressive defense and then on offense, just grind your bones to dust with two very explosive running backs and a punishing front defensive and offensive line. Worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. I mean, they lose to Meade. They lose to Fort Collins and Erie and Fossil Ridge and Skyline or Loveland. They're four and five. Worst case scenario and a playoff team. I could just as easily see them going six and three. You know, I think that they could start off uh, three and two before, you know, winning against Central and West. So putting them at like five and two and maybe Skyline and Loveland, uh, they drop one of those games. But I think that they win a game against Erie or Skyline or Loveland in what would some call an upset. Uh, Skyline, I don't know if they have the beef up front to keep up with this Windsor squad. And uh, Caden Box will have to be in his bag to keep pace with this Windsor team that I think is going to rip off a ton of long runs. But 6-3 is going to be my projection for the Windsor Wizards. I think they're going to be a very tough team, a very stout team to keep an eye on this upcoming season in this uh, for a Northern One League. And, you know, with all that being addressed, those are all the teams from last year's for a Northern One League. And uh, coming up after the break, I will be talking about the for a Northern Two League. So just uh, stay tuned for some teams that we have talked about in passing, but we'll get a more in-depth look at. Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Cody Stoffer, and we are going to continue talking about four a north central squads from you know the last season at least where they left off in those leagues they may be in those leagues still they may not but we are talking about how they looked last year and looking ahead to this year and we're going to start with Greeley, another Greeley squad here you know i talked about northridge last week i talked about west earlier on the episode this is the trifecta here or at least of 3a and above in Greeley Central, talking about the Wildcats. We've covered this team quite a bit. And, you know, I think they still continue to struggle last year. But uh, beating Greeley West for the first time in years in a stunning fashion um, was a huge, huge win uh, morally and just in general for this Wildcat squad that has struggled quite a bit recently. But, um, you know, I think that they played pretty closely against some teams. You know, this Niwot game last year that they lost to start the season 21-14. I think that's a game that they could have won. Uh, this Mountain View game that they lost 23-9. I think that's another game that's a little bit closer than the box score indicates, right? And then obviously, you know, they only lost by 5 to Grand Junction Central and by 9 to Monarch here. So a uh, couple of different plays and a lot of these games look very different. But, um, you know, they are going to be missing some serious, serious talent. From last year and I think that you can't talk about their talent last year without talking about Leon Ramirez who is our number one interior offensive lineman a just force of nature honestly at the guard position able to pull able to handle you know different blitz packages able to pass block and just so unnaturally strong I mean he just worked like an ox against a lot of these offensive linemen defensive you know linebackers and then you know if he got to the secondary it was night night 
for whoever was in the secondary. So, you know, he was able to collect pancakes like no one's business, like it was his business. He was trying to go international. And, you know, his intensity and passion on the field will be missed for a line that's just not showing the same kind of X factor that Leon Ramirez was. You know, Leon Ramirez could take over a game from a guard position, which is just not something that you commonly hear. And, uh, you know, he's being slept on on the collegiate ranks. He's going to do his thing at Chadron State, I believe. But I would not be surprised if he ends up on a D1 roster uh, after he just collects more pancakes on the next level. But, you know, additionally, on the offensive and defensive side, they are graduating Yahir Cheres Salazar, a.k.a. Chino, who was a stabilizing force for this offense, averaging five yards per carry and scoring six touchdowns while tacking on an additional 235 yards in the receiving game. But, you know, his mark on offense is nowhere near how solid of a defender he was. He was on our top five senior linebacker list as well with 108 tackles, 16 of those being for loss. So a major percentage of those being for loss. And then, you know, trying to replace him is not only going to be difficult because of what he was able to do, but the fact that the gap between him and the next leading tackler is around 70 tackles. Woof. Not only that, but in the secondary, you know, they're losing two of the best defensive backs on the squad who had a combined 17 pass deflections and uh, Randy Matias. And, you know, Randy also doubled as the leading receiver for the Wildcats. So that's a tough loss on both sides of the ball. And then defensively, they're also losing their third and fourth leading tacklers in. Um, I'm going to mess this up, but I'm going to try really hard not to. Well, I'm going to say Martinez first and then Dayish. I don't, I know how to read. This is not that hard of a name to say. Ndeya Shemye. Ndeya Shemye. Ndeya Shemye. There you go. All in one word. Ndeya Shemye. And uh, both of those guys were responsible for five tackles for loss apiece. So they're losing a lot on the lines, whether it's offensive or defensive. They're losing on all three levels on the defensive side of the ball to a pretty high level. And then obviously, Leon, who has a very strong claim for being probably the most dominant wildcat of the past half decade full decade maybe so but they do have some guys coming back you have albi fabella who is second on the team in tackles with 36 and he'll be the one that we're looking to this year uh michael flores's return uh will lighten some of the burden on this defense after posting eight tackles for loss last year five of the top 11 tacklers will be returning so it's not like an overwhelming amount it's sitting right around that you know half and half kind of part then you also have uh, Jaden and Zerez, uh, who looks to cushion the blow of so many graduating weapons with his place at third in receiving yards last season. And uh, you also have Mays, who, as a sophomore, was catching some passes last year. But who are they going to be catching passes from? I'm glad you asked. And this is once again on that episode 138. We did a film breakdown of Genoa Trujillo. He's been starting since a freshman for this Greeley Central squad. And he's been dealt some pretty tough hands, I would say. Um, both just talent-wise, schedule-wise, and eligibility-wise. Uh, it's been kind of a revolving door at a lot of different positions. So Genoa's done the best of what he can. And I think, you know, looking at this junior year and looking ahead to his senior year, he is the heartbeat of this team. And his contributions and growth this offseason is integral for the Wildcats to try and win. Uh, his growth from freshman to sophomore year was stellar. He did a lot of the things that we said that he needed to address. He turned his, you know, TD to INT ratio into a positive, right? And, you know, I think that from what I saw in the offseason, he's even better. 
And if they could just hand him the keys and make it the true Hilo show, they could win more than one game. And so, you know, I think that that's a good transition to look ahead to this upcoming schedule. And, you know, while Genoa is good, this team still isn't great. And they lost their two best players last year. Uh, they have way more winnable games this year and should eclipse their win total. Uh, they could be 2-2 two and two heading into league. You know, starting off this season, they have another game against Niwot. This is on the road. But I think that with everything that Niwot graduated last year, Greeley Central's in a pretty good spot here. Then they have games against Cheyenne Mountain, Northridge, and Palmer. I think that they should be able to beat Palmer and then maybe struggle a little bit with Cheyenne Mountain and Northridge, landing them at about a 2-2 two and two record before heading into league. And their league is grueling. I'm not even going to pull punches on that. They got Loveland on the road, Windsor at home, Greeley West at home. I mean, they play in the same place, so that doesn't really matter. But Grand Junction Central in Grand Junction, woof. And then uh, they have a non-league game sprinkled in here against Silver Creek and conclude the season against Skyline. Um, look, I think that Loveland and Windsor will be challenges. I think that they could probably go back-to-back -back against Greeley West, at least while West is finding an identity with a new coach and a lot of moving pieces this year. But I don't know if they necessarily avenge the loss to Grand Junction Central last year. I think that Grand Junction Central is returning more players in critical spots. So, you know, this may be a tough go-around in league, but it will still be triple their win total from last year. So out of their 10 games... I see probably three and seven with a window of wins between two and four. Um, I mean, there is a chance that they drop to Niwot, and then maybe there's a chance that they beat Cheyenne Mountain or maybe steal a game from GJC or Silver Creek. But they just need a lot more consistency and stability if they're to be taken a little bit more seriously. And Genoa, I mean, look, he's, he's playing good football, but he has to be transcendent if this team is going to reach 500. And I'm not saying that he can't, but it's transcendent along with a couple of lucky bounces on like special teams, on defense and whatnot to try and help this squad out. Speaking of transcendent quarterbacks, this next team that I'm talking about in their last year recap had one of the best Colorado has seen recently. And I'm going to be talking about the Longmont Trojans following a 7-5 and five season. They were in consistent track meets with Keegan Patterson leading the helm airing it out early and often. And, you know, the cannon behind this success and a lot of the weapons who were on the receiving end of these touchdowns have graduated, leaving plenty of question marks on offense and looking to their hapless defense from last year for solutions. You know, despite scoring 411 points last year, they allowed 427, which is absurd that they ended up with a winning record with that. And, I mean, 42, 427 divided by 12. I mean, that is a lot of points per game. And it's it's surprising that they won as many games as they did. So, you know, their defense is going to have to be very, very improved from last year. Um, you know, they typically outpaced other teams that were offensively led, but struggled against teams with stronger defenses. I'm looking at Windsor, who they lost 56 to 22. I'm looking at Erie, which, like I said for the Erie segment, I put a little bit of an asterisk on because Keegan Patterson was not in that game. So a little bit of give there. But then you look at the Loveland game, they lost 35 to 14. And then, you know, against other state, all-time state offenses, they were not able to keep pace. Like their opening loss to Chatfield, 49 to 43, and their season-ending loss in the playoffs in the second round 
to Dakota Ridge, 56 to 35. So, you know, it, in terms of graduating seniors, I already kind of hinted at it. The big loss here is the USC walk-on Keegan Patterson, who numbers-wise was not matched by many in the state in a season that saw him score 48 touchdowns on offense and a pick six on defense. His arm was so strong, he was able to make a ton of throws that a lot of other quarterbacks just can't make. He was a top five senior quarterback for us. He was committed to mines, got an opportunity to be a walk-on kind of guy at USC. So that just shows you the caliber of talent that Keegan Patterson is sitting in with just his arm. And he was also a solid running quarterback as well. He could pick up a lot of yards. A lot of this offense was ran just primarily through him. But whenever it wasn't him running for touchdowns, he had to throw it to somebody. And, you know, his best weapons on offense all graduated. You had 2,000 plus scrimmage yard gadget player Caleb Johnson, who, you know, was responsible for a lot of jet sweeps, picking up a ton of yards, a guy who could catch something in the flats and turn it upfield, somebody who on special teams was very dangerous and even took a kickoff return to the house in that Dakota Ridge game that I spoke of a little bit ago. So you're losing just a nice speedy athlete there. You're losing big bodied receiver Jack Mole, who caught 13 touchdowns. And, you know, I broke down his film as well. One of the best jump ball guys in the entire state. He could be entirely out of position and still make crazy, crazy catches. So losing somebody with great body control and physicality in Jack Mole, losing a great athlete in Caleb Johnson, and then losing a versatile offensive threat in Justice Lilly, who, you know, was playing a little bit of slot, a little bit of running back. And, you know, of the 5,911 yards of scrimmage from last year, only 217 is coming back, which may be one of the biggest losses of a senior class in the entire state, 1A through 5A. I'm even willing to throw six-man and eight-man in there. That is an absurd amount of losses to have just yards-wise for an offense that was, you know, for, for a team where the offense was the heartbeat, right? In addition, while their defense did struggle, they are still losing some contributors from last year. Caleb Johnson, Jack Mole, and Keegan Patterson. Like I mentioned, Keegan Patterson, he scored a touchdown on defense last year. It might have not been a pick six. It might have been a fumble return for a touchdown. But regardless, all those guys contributed, getting past deflections in the past defending game and forcing incompletions with hits and whatnot like that. And Justice Lilly is no exception to that since he had a team-leading 39 solo tackles, a total of 61 tackles, and 14 pass deflections was just... I'm pretty sure that he paced this squad in pass deflection. So, you know, just a very versatile defensive threat who wasn't afraid of contact and wasn't afraid of dropping back into coverage. King Patterson had an additional 44. And then they're losing their total leading tackler, Kale Dirksen, who had 78 tackles for this squad. On top of that, even though this defense still underperformed, they had two linemen who were you know, tied in tackles for loss at third and Ari Edelstein and then Allstate honorable mention, Sam Adams, both those big bodies will be leaving. And then uh, everyone who first, everyone who first, everyone who forced more than a single forced fumble graduated. This is one of the most depleted rosters from a graduating class I have probably ever seen in my entire life. It is absurd how much talent they've lost while also not having a lot of talent that had time to develop in some of these blowout wins. But I got to put some respect on the returning talent. You know, they are returning their two leading tacklers, 
who ended up in the backfield in Silas Nolan and Grant Cummins, who had 17 combined tackles for loss. And in addition, you know, the defense does see the return of all-conference linebacker Cole Gaddis, who is second on the team with 75 tackles and four for loss with a team leading two sacks and six hurries. And then you also have Gail Garcia, who is fourth on the team in tackles with 58. You know, the defense will be returning some studs, but the loss of an all-state talent may make this a very tough season for the Trojans. So let's go ahead and look at their schedule. They open up against Broomfield on the road. I don't think Broomfield loses three in a row to Longmont. Then they're at home against a very tough Windsor team that's just very tested in the trenches and already, you know, beat this team once last year. Then they're on the road against the Denver South team that was built very similarly to them. And they may start off with an 0-3 skid before probably bouncing back against far Northeast Warriors. And then they're right back on the road. Well, not really on the road, but in the battle for Longmont. Skyline is way more equipped this year to handle anything Longmont can throw at them. They're the ones with the returning big arm quarterback. They're the ones with returning talent at skill position. So they probably win Skyline or lose the Skyline game this year before winning against Greeley West. The Silver Creek game, as I said in the Silver Creek segment, is a toss-up. So you have that to consider before ending the season against Monarch, which is probably their last win, before Erie and Loveland probably run the jewels on the Trojans. I think that the game against Skyline will be competitive, but that's purely for rivalry's sake. I think it's the only reason why that may be close. But, uh, you know, I'm thinking that their season probably ends around 3-7, and seven, which seems like a huge step backwards. But I think that this is a big step backwards before a potential step forward, just in the terms of a lot of unproven talent that I'm just not sure about. But they do have some sophomore talent in the works where this squad could maybe be back to its playoff ways in 2023. Uh, window of wins, I'm going to say three to five. I don't really see them losing or winning less than three games, honestly. I think that they easily have three in here. And then, you know, Depending on the Silver Creek game, that could go either way. And then maybe they pull off an upset or maybe Erie or Loveland is resting because their seat is already secure. But that's kind of my outlook for this Longmont squad that was just so dynamic last year. I have so much respect for this, you know, 2021 season Trojans and that class of 2022. It was certainly something special and historic at that Longmont school. And now it is time to kind of gather their things and see how they're going to turn the page to the next chapter of Longmont football. Up next, we have one of my favorite recent historical reminders that defense does indeed win championships. I'm talking about the Loveland Red Wolves, who, while they didn't secure a chip this year, they were in some great defensive slugfests at times throughout the year and were also the state champs just a couple of years ago behind one of the most vicious defenses for a football has probably ever seen. And so talking about last year's performance, for this Loveland squad, you know, I saw I saw a lot of potential in the Red Wolves to potentially run it back by a, an Ian Loomis-driven defense and a tough-nosed, hard-stead offense. And they did exactly that. You know, their only loss in the regular season was to an Elite Eight finisher in the 5A Ralston Valley squad uh, that, you know, I did not invest a lot of time in uh, before they demolished the majority of their schedule with impressive wins over playoff teams with stellar offenses in Broomfield, Skyline, Longmont, and continued said success into the postseason with a first-round bye and a crushing win over Vista Ridge before the toughest defense they came across stopped them on the inch line in Pine Creek to exit the playoffs. So, I mean, 
Now look at this. They ran Loveland easy. I mean, they scored, what is that, 83 points and didn't allow a single point to other Loveland teams. Then they had a really close win over another tough-nosed Windsor team uh, by only a score. Like I said, they had that loss to Ralston Valley. I didn't really invest too much time into that because it's 5A. didn't really impact them all that much. But then Broomfield worked. Monarch blanked. Skyline blanked. Longmont, 35-14. Greeley Central only allowed a field goal. Grand Junction Central, woof. <laughs> you know what I mean? So this team was just super dominant. Took care of a Vista Ridge squad that had one of the more talented offenses in 4A last year uh, with a 48-24 drubbing before falling short of Pine Creek. And, you know, I'd, I'd call this a success. Uh, following winning state two years ago. But, you know, they'll have to try and make some adjustments to uh, continue on to the third round this upcoming season. So looking at graduating seniors, it's not as many as I thought, but there's one big loss that may be one of the biggest losses from the senior class, and that is senior linebacker Ian Loomis. Over three years playing for this defense and contributing and starting, he averaged 11.9 tackles per game. He had nearly 400 total tackles in his career, 49 and a half of those being for loss. And, you know, he was a versatile threat who was able to defend the pass, picking up three interceptions and six pass deflections. Rushed the quarterback, recording 31 hurries, hurries and 17 and a half sacks. And he was a leader of this squad, both emotionally and vocally. I've heard lots of good things about Ian Loomis from fellow players, coaches, opponents, and whatnot just, you know, throughout these past two years. And just historically, what a great dude he was off and on the field. And, you know, now... He's uh, going to be playing or should be playing ball on the next level. Honestly, he could be a power five guy, but, um, you know, his, uh, his opportunity is, has came and went for high school ball. He has a championship ring and is one of the most dominant players in this defense's history and in Loveland's history. So very impressive player. They are going to miss him. And, you know, they have a couple of other defensive guys who are leaving. You have Tyson Williams, who's, a member of the secondary who collected two interceptions, six pass deflections, and also forced two fumbles. You also have a Stevenson who didn't collect a lot of sacks, but had 20 hurries, which is got to be like such a high level of hurries without cashing in more sacks. Then you also have Hensel, who, you know, this is flipping over to the offensive side, was third on the team in rushing with 520 yards, eight touchdowns, which, you know, removes just one dimension of this bullying offense. And then they also lose first team All-State lineman Uziel Ruiz, who is a cog in this rushing attack that notched 48 scores and 3,700 yards, being one of the most dominant rushing attacks in the entire state. It's going to be tough to replace a lineman of that caliber. caliber. However, they are returning plenty of talent on both sides of the ball, and while filling the shoes of Ian will be hard, this defense still is really talented. Sophomore Stan Berry, who, you know, returns to the fold after 10 tackles for loss last season. He was second on the team. And he's just one of eight tacklers in the top 11 from this squad last year who will be returning. That includes incoming senior Dylan Lindgren, who is at 133 tackles. Hudson Vagaser, who had 90 tackles. And overall, 66% of tackles are returning, and that's mighty impressive considering Loomis is such an outlier with how many tackles he personally collected. If I excluded that outlier, the number would be probably 10% higher at least. You also have members of the secondary who are returning. Specifically, 8 out of the 11 interceptions recorded last year will be coming back, including Cody Lease, who led the team in interceptions with 4, 
and also tacked on an additional four pass deflections, showing versatility in the pass defend game. Obviously, when you have a front seven that's as dominant as Loveland's, it makes playing secondary a lot easier, and it's good to know that this secondary didn't squander the opportunity of this elite front seven, but still managed to capitalize, make interceptions, make plays, and then be able to take these for yards and set up very short distances for this offense that is still returning, you know, a very strong rushing attack. You have Garrett Harstad, who carved up defenses for 18 rushing touchdowns, over 1,000 yards, and Drew Foley, who tacked on another 1,047 yards and 15 scores. Not to mention Garrett threw on another, another 11 touchdowns. So, you know, this backfield is still stellar. This defense is still incredible. They still have a lot of experience from a championship that was not that long ago, or at least these guys have been to a championship or know what it means to a program to win a championship. So they still have all these things fresh on their mind. I will point out that in their two losses last year, this offense only managed to put up a combined 13 points. They're very easy to run through a lot of teams. They are losing a very good lineman, obviously, but they do have other linemen who can fill the mold. But does it hurt to be one-dimensional? Now, I know Garrett has 11 passing touchdowns. However, I think it's a little deceptive. I think it's a little deceptive just based off of the type of throws and the schemes that they're running, what Garrett really is as a quarterback. And that's an athlete first. That's a runner first by miles. And there's plenty of quarterbacks that are like that, but I just have a hard time. Like if he played on the next level, he would not play quarterback as of, you know, these past two years, right? So it's up to him on this year on if he's going to kind of legitimize himself as a quarterback or if he's going to continue to be an athlete first. You know, Loveland's ability to develop talent defensively could result in another successful season. They scheduled a couple of 5A squads who were playoff teams, as well as the defending state runner-up in Erie that will all prove to be challenges. I think that this opening game against Fossil Ridge is a little bit, little bit of a coin toss, but I think they could drop a close one to Erie later in the season. Between Erie, Fossil Ridge, and Pomona, they could lose all three, but I, I personally predict one and two in those games and don't see them losing to another school. I think they sweep Thompson Valley and Mountain View for the crown to Loveland again before going undefeated in league with Skyline being their biggest opposition and a, you know, hard-nosed game in Windsor that could be a toss-up. However, I still see this team landing at 8-2 and two with a window of wins of 7-8. to eight. I think that, you know, if they lose three games, my guess would be to three of these four teams in Fossil Ridge, Pomona, Erie, and Windsor. And even then, um, I think that there's a decent chance that they could be all of those teams. I literally think that they're just that talented defensively. I don't know if they will be challenged. I think that Windsor will be one of the biggest challenges and reflections of what this team is. You know, I mean, Windsor and Loveland, very similarly built, I would say, as far as being defensive powerhouses with athletic rushers on the offensive side but you know fossil ridge is going to test this secondary this front seven uh with a very talented quarterback up there in fort collins and then obviously erie 
this is a team that you could run into in the semis, you could run into in the quarters, you could run into in even state, depending on how the bracket shakes out, right? So this is a team to keep an eye out for, and this will be a great test to see if they can go back to the chip. But they will need more of their offense come playoff time, and we'll see exactly what schemes they have dialed up and what plots they have dialed up as well. But I think that this is this is a formula for another successful season for the Red Wolves and one in which we see them ultimately making the playoffs and competing for another state championship, honestly. I, I like a lot of things about this Red Wolves squad. Up next, we're going down to Louisville, Colorado, or I should say west and a little bit south here to louisville let's talk about the monarch coyotes here and last year was a bit of a struggle you know they didn't have the worst point differential i've seen and they were fairly competitive um in in parts of league and that included a tight overtime loss to skyline and then you had a win in league against greeley central um following you know uh, win earlier in the season, dominant win over Hinkley, 56-0. But there are some glaring losses here. You see, you know, a 21-point loss to Green Mountain. You see a 24-point loss to the Northeast Warriors, which is very surprising and rare. But then you see them perform really well in games against, like, George Washington, like I said, the Skyline game, and, you know, even some levels of competency in the Grand Junction Central game, right? So, you know, they had a pretty athletic quarterback in 2020, he wants to play college ball. It was either a JUCO or a D3. And so I think that's something that was really noticeable in this 2021 season is that their passing game took significant steps backwards, but they were still able to score and produce on the ground through their wing T system. Now, transitioning quickly to graduating seniors. Now the wing T will have to be completely reloaded next year with the three leading rushers and 85% of rushing yards coming from seniors Cole Carlucci, Matthew Wengren and Kieran Singh in ascending order, right? All these guys were very significant. All these guys put up pretty substantial yardage. You know, obviously Kieran being the leading rusher. I mean, he averaged 134.7 per game en route to a 1,347-yard rushing season. Wengren had another 355 yards and Carlucci had another 208 yards. Between the three of them, that was 18 touchdowns. And, you know, while the pass game wasn't necessarily a point of focus there last year, their leading receiver is graduating. And, you know, those are stat snaps and yards that will need to be bridged. In addition to the leading receiver being the fourth leading tackler on this squad. Uh, speaking of offensive players who are really solid on defense, Carlucci's contributions as the second leading tackler will also disappear with him walking across the stage. Second leading tackler, Mayer, has also graduated. And half of this squad's interceptions graduated with Carlucci and Mayer as well. In some fortunate news for the Coyotes, they do have Tress McMahon returning to the fold, uh, who was the leading tackler and, you know, is the only face of the top four tacklers who is returning. But outside of, you know, three of the top four graduating, they will bring be bringing back six of the top 11, including a couple of sophomores who collected over 25 tackles. The defense will also return 50% of their hurries and two thirds of their sacks. Uh, this isn't a massive statement since they only recorded three sacks last season, but 
any experience and positives that you can get here, you take. <clears throat> Additionally, you have incoming junior Riley Hall, uh, who will bring his 245 pound frame to the defensive line, uh, following his team leading three hurries last season. And hopefully he can collect a lot more tackles for loss for this squad. And then, you know, in at quarterback, Asher Ewing uh, will be in the works to compete for the QB spot following a sophomore season that saw his TD and INT ratio be solid at 2-2. And maybe with a year under his belt and the upside of having a three-year starter, Monarch could invest in this pass game. Uh, we'll definitely say Monarch has one of the hardest 4A schedules of any team I have seen so far, and their record may reflect that. I see them starting 0-2 against the likes of Stanley Lake and Frederick, but then they have very interesting games against Centaurus or Boulder that are potentially winnable, but also potentially losable. So I'm looking at one and three or zero and four in this. They probably split these games. So one and three before playing a Pooter squad in Fort Collins. But, um, you know, Pooter's a bit of a toss up. And then they have a three-game stretch where it'd be awesome if they went one and two, but I'd be very surprised if they did. This includes a home game against Pueblo South. On the flip side, they don't have to drive all the way to Pueblo, but then they have Erie after that, and then Longmont, who is replacing a lot of talent. So if Monarch was going to have a year to accomplish a win, it would be this year. And then games at home against Greeley West and Silver Creek to end the year. I think that... It's very possible to see a win in the very first five games here. Then if they can get a win against Longmont and Greeley West, I think that that is most likely their path to three and six or three and seven, my bad. But I'd give them a window of wins of two to four, depending on the intensity of this defense and how the quarterback steps up for a team in dire need. Of running backs in production reaching our 11th team of this episode thank you so much for staying tuned this entire time we got one more after this and then we're going to call it quits and i'm talking about grand junction central warriors who last year against the majority of competition uh gjc remained competitive even against playoff teams you can look at a 14 to 7 loss to Florida monument or a 38 to 24 loss to skyline uh, but they struggled to find consistent offense. Uh, they had less than 200 yards against Fairview as well as Montrose. And this past season, they only scored 16.8 points per game, uh, despite some overachieved defensive games. I'm looking at this game against Fairview, where they held Fairview to only 17 points, one of the most potent offenses in the state last year. Or looking at this Fruit of Monument squad, holding them to 14 points, right? So... They had flashes of excellence on defense, but it was at times just wildly inconsistent on both sides of the ball. So they will need some stability and there's chances of that happening. But, you know, two members in the top five of tackles per game graduated in Williams Fat and Abram Morrison. And along with them goes 10 tackles for loss and five sacks. You're also losing Eric Cook, who, you know, is just a big body on both sides of the line that's going to be interesting to try and replace. And then lastly, you know, Justin Blanton was one of the premier athletes for the Warriors, being a runner and a track star. His explosiveness at 6'3", 200 pounds, will be missed in a season where he did lead in receiving yards. This squad will be returning a handful of solid talent, though. I think that it starts with Santana Martinez, who showed flashes in the past game, along with consistency and physicality in the run game. 
and great instincts and IQ to not get turned around or flipped in wing T schemes. I think that, you know, Santana is very balanced as a defender. I think that he has a lot of things going for him and he's a very smart football player. I think that his return will be integral for this defense to take an additional step forward. And, you know, in only eight games, he was the leader in tackles and tackles per game with a couple of pass deflections to boot. I watched some of his film. He fills holes very well. He engages blocks very physically. He has the ability to kind of roam in the middle of that field and get some pass deflections, some a pretty athletic ones, mind you. So Santana Martinez is very interesting and probably the leader of this defense heading into next year. You also have incoming junior Cameron Redding, uh, who is fifth on the tackles on this team through eight games last season and is amongst the top in solo tackles as well. Defensively, you also have James Montoya, who is tied for the team lead in pass deflections. And, you know, his athleticism is even more key, not only as a defensive stud who can break at passes, but, you know, he was the leader in kick return yards. And, you know, viewing some of his offseason work, it's put some faith for me in his receiving ability he has some sweet acceleration he can create distance very quickly and could potentially be an added weapon here for this gjc team that could use one for you know uh devin hickey who you know at quarterback was fairly competent you know he does have santana martinez returning to the backfield but you know he was way more effective through the ground than through the air um he does do a good job of keeping his eyes downfield and keeping plays alive. And, you know, I think if they run more shotgun read option concepts or RPO concepts, this offense could take some serious strides forward. But Devin may have created a bad habit just looking through his film of holding onto the ball way too long, looking for a big play. And I think that if they're going to find more consistency on offense and be able to, you know, score more than an average of 16 points per game where, you know, they're not putting up 6, 12, 0, 19, 14, and then going on a streak to end the season, 28, 17, 20, 24, 14. You know, all of these scores are super all over the place, or I should say 33, 25, 24, 14, right? All of these scores are super all over the place. And I think that part of that is just because of the inconsistency under center and his inconsistent decision-making. I think that, you know, GJC... Uh, through at least the seven games at the time of my research, two, four, six, seven, yep, it's still seven now. Uh, they have a brutal schedule. I'm not even gonna try and mince it here. They have one of the hardest schedules I've seen doing previews. They have playoff team in Fruit of Monument from last year before, you know, basing off for the title of Grand Junction. I think that winning against Grand Junction is very possible. Then they face 3A playoff team in Durango. Very tough and physical up front. Montrose, who was literally the number one seed in 4A last year. Loveland, a team who I talked about a little bit earlier, who's returning a hectic defense. Greeley Central, I think that this is one of their more competitive games. And then Skyline, who I will be talking about next and who I think is going to make significant strides this year. I think that, you know, Fruta should probably be Grand Junction Central, but there is a chance for them to win. Uh, they definitely should be Grand Junction for the Grand Junction crown, but uh, they probably go 0-3 in those next three games before, I think, securing a win against Greeley Central. I mentioned earlier in the Wildcat segment that I don't think that they'll be able to avenge their loss against Grand Junction because of how many players they have returning, especially 
in Martinez, as well as that quarterback position for Devin Hickey. And, you know, as of now, I see two and five. And personally, if I was the AD, I would schedule two kind of layup games here and try and get at four and five and see if with this strength of schedule, I could squeak into the playoffs, depending on my score margins against Montrose and Loveland. I think that performing well in those games could go a very long way towards how, you know, the votes go and how they land and who this committee sends to the playoffs, especially in 4A that has one of the more expanded brackets, at least in 1 through 5A football, uh, being one of the ones who has, you know, multiple buys, multiple rounds, and the works like that. So that's kind of my preview for Grand Junction Central. Like I said, Devin is very talented athletically. He has a pretty strong arm. But, you know, mentally, he's just taking too long to see reads. He's not taking what the defense gives him and just has to grow a lot in that facet of his game in order to improve from A, the numbers that he put up last year and B, you know, what this Warriors team is capable of. He just needs to improve in those categories in order to show me that it is possible. Now, this very last team is one of the most intriguing teams that I've gotten a chance to research. Their season last year was so polarizing and just so odd, honestly, uh, especially when you look at, you know, some of the margins that they were looking at and the revolving door at quarterback between injuries primarily, but also, you know, a variety of just who's got the hot hand, who do I trust to run these concepts, etc., etc. It was a crazy year last year for Skyline, who I think competed a lot like a th like a tier three team. And I think that, that was reflected in their struggles against defensive heavyweights. See their game against Erie where they got blanked 49-0, right? Uh, see their game against Loveland where they got blanked 48-0. Very similar scores against two of the best defenses in 4A last year. And then you also have some closer losses to more offensively gifted teams such as themselves. You have a 33-21 loss to Golden. You have a 40-31 loss to Longmont. And then in the first round of the playoffs, you have a 43-14 loss to Vista Ridge, right? So I don't think that any of these losses are without the note that these teams are quality. But outside of a blowout win over Grand Junction and a couple of thrillers in Silver Creek and Monarch, none of these wins really seem quality or to jump off the page. I mean, they beat a Rampart team by only seven points to start the season before going 51 and six against Grand Junction. But then this Silver Creek game was a close game. They only won 17 to seven. Even Greeley Central was within 11 points. They barely got out of Monarch with a win. And if they lost that game, I don't know if they would have made the playoffs because that is just not a great loss to have. And then, you know, beating Grand Junction Central, the team that I just talked about in the last segment, uh, they only beat them by two scores. And I think that there should be a bigger margin or gap, but you know, I think that consistency on both sides of the ball will be needed to take that major step forward and be taken more serious this year. But, you know, before I talk about who is coming back to try and stabilize these positions for the Falcons, I'm going to talk about some graduating seniors, starting off with 210-pound wrecking ball, Tony Munez, who walks the stage following a senior year that saw him in third in tackles, second in tackles for loss, and being the team leading sack artist with five. So you're going to have to replace who, you know, this guy who did contribute, I want to say close to a third of this team's total sacks. And then you have his even larger running mate, Caleb Allen, who, you know, 
as an offensive and defensive lineman was just excellent at swallowing up space. Six foot four, 325 pounds. It doesn't matter what team you are, but losing that size on any line hurts. And even more so when they were fourth on the team in tackles, Caleb Allen wasn't just a big body who was present. He was one who made plays, one who made tackles, one who disrupted offensive game plans with sheer size and strength, right? So you're losing two very solid guys on that defensive line who could, you know, move an offensive line off balance. And that's a real shame for somebody trying to build a contending team. On the offensive side of the ball, I think that Win Drews is the big name here. Tremendous loss for the Falcons following a thousand yard rushing season, 13 rushing scores, and, you know, production that will try to be filled by a junior who is also a leading receiver on the squad. But uh, there's some serious production to be replaced and maybe not enough hats to make up for the things that Win Drews was capable of. Lastly, you also have second leading receiver, Andrew Muncy, who recorded four receiving touchdowns and was second in yards as well with an incredible 17.6 yards per reception, which was the most for anyone with more than one reception. So you have big chunk guys in the receiving game that you're losing. You're losing pressure and tackles for loss in the run and pass game on the defensive line. And you're also losing a very stabilizing force at running back. How do you make up for all of that? Well, there'll be plenty of opportunity for this defense to shore up some shortcomings last year. Look, this team has to be one of the very few teams in all of Colorado football last year with the point differential that they had to still make the playoffs. They had a point differential of 58, 59, negative 59, and still made the postseason at six and four. That is bizarre, uncommon, and not something that you can get away with this next year. You're going to have to step on the defensive side of the ball, and you're going to have to score more points on the offensive side of the ball, honestly. I think that, you know, 26, well, around 20-ish points per game is solid, but not when you're allowing around 30 points per game. Uh, you're going to have to bring those numbers significantly closer. And I think that one way that they're going to do that is with class of 2023, uh, Maddox Leggett, who recorded 92 tackles and a team leading nine tackles for loss, including... Uh, three sacks as well. And then you also have Evan King, who had a team leading seven pass deflections, 66 tackles, and a tackle for loss to boot. So they do have two very solid tacklers returning to the fold, two guys who, you know, can bat passes in Evan King in the pass game and also can get in the backfield in Maddox here. And, you know, it's worth noting that some size still does remain on this line. Uh, Francisco Arande returns for his senior season at a stout 260. He hopes to convert some of his team-leading five hurries into more sacks from the single one he recorded last season. I think that it's going to be more welcome. I think that there's going to be opportunities to do so. And if he can improve that first step and maybe his hand fighting a little bit, we could easily see this. And then, excitingly and fortunately for the Falcons, all of their listed interceptions, you know, return and Jar Giancarlo Barron, who had three, Logan Trosper had three, and Logan Miller, who had one, and 71% of their pass deflections returned. This pass defense should see substantial improvement following a season that saw them allow 1,082 yards and losses and a combined 17 touchdowns, uh, including like an outlier of a game where they only allowed a single passing touchdown, right? So this secondary has to make tremendous steps forward. They have a defensive line who can get in the quarterback's face and force teams to pass. And I think that this secondary with another year under their belt can improve in pass deflections despite the loss of 
you know, a couple of, you know, secondary players, right? So I think that they can make up for these losses, but I think that something else that will make it easier against offensive heavyweights will be the development of incoming senior quarterback, Caden Box. He has a very powerful arm. He has the ability to make all the throws and he showed some flashes last season en route to a nine to four touchdown to INT ratio. And in the off season, you know, I saw him do lots of work with Team Full Gorilla. And in the action I saw, his timing came a very long way this off season, which is the biggest question mark I probably had last season. And was something that was noted in his 47% completion percentage from last season. If he is to be considered for our top five senior list, he has to show in pads he has taken the right steps and fulfills the potential of the D1 cannon that he has. His arm is D1. It's his mind, timing, and ability to read defenses D1 now. You'd hope after a season of 7-on-7, seven seven, that answer is closer to yes. It's closer to yes, but I gotta see it in pads. Everything is different once those big, nasty D linemen are coming at you. And you have an idea of that because you have some big nasties on your team who do disrupt, right? So... To try and help provide some security and consistency for Caden, you do have Logan Miller, who is a versatile tool for this offense last season. 621 receiving yards, 477 rushing yards, not to mention 420 passing yards. There was really nothing that Logan was asked that he couldn't do. And I think that his understanding of the game of football from a variety of positions should make him the smartest player in a handful of competitions on the entire football field. Not to mention his explosiveness and body control makes him someone you wouldn't want to kick off to or leave in single coverage. Uh, with him not having to worry about QBing for the squad, I think that he can make significant strides at wideout as well as return specialist. I think that Logan Miller could be, you know, a thousand yard receiver this year. He could have another 300 rushing yards on jet sweeps and the like of that. And I wouldn't be surprised if he returned one or two uh, combined kick or punt returns to the house this year. I think that Logan Miller is a very dangerous threat, especially with Caden Box's arm, to be an all-state caliber player. Lastly, you know, uh, Emilio Gutierrez saw some action at center as a sophomore, but was noticeably slow and a little behind cognitively. And you'd think that with that in, that season of work, as well as the offseason, he'll be able to take some big strides in this offseason to get snaps more consistent for this offense to go in the direction that it needs to. Now, obviously, I said that a lot of their wins weren't really impressive this past year, in my opinion, and that they struggled against some good teams. And I think that they better buckle up because they do have some interesting challenges on this team. And, you know, in order to be the best, you got to beat the best, right? And I think that this first four game stretch will be a great test. They open up at home against the Denver South squad that has Joseph Capra and Rashad Caldwell, another quarterback wide receiver duo. I can see a duel forming between Caden Capra, or I should say box Capra and Miller Caldwell. I think it'll be a very electrifying game and one that is on our calendar. If they do drop that game, I do think that they win at least two of these next three against Stanley Lake, Fruita Monument, Vista Peak Prep. There's even a chance that they go three and one in that. I think that this year is the year for Skyline to reclaim Longmont. I think that the time is theirs, but these are scheduled as quote home games. And uh, you know, I think that they go two and zero against Longmont and Silver Creek. I think that they're not cakewalks, but I think that it is time to assert yourself as the squad of Longmont in this 2022 season. 
Then after that, they have a tough two game stretch on the road against Windsor and Loveland. Both of these games are gonna be battles. I could see them dropping both of these games, right? So heading towards the last two games of the season where I'm kind of projecting as many losses as possible and I'm being on the quote cautious side, uh, say they beat Stanley and then like Fruta or Vista, that puts them at 2-2, beat Longmont and Silver Creek 4-2, lose to Windsor and Loveland 4-4. How do you finish the season against Grand Junction Central and Greeley Central? Well, with wins, obviously. Uh, I think that six and four appears very possible and it just narrowly misses them out on a league title unless they can beat the Red Wolves, which would be a massive, if not the biggest statement they can make all season that they are a state contender. Loveland is a defense unlike any, you know, I mean, Windsor, they have that defense to face first off, but Loveland's defense will be a true test of Caden, his patience, ability to make pre-snap reads and dissect the defense before the play. He's going to have to make a lot of pre-snap reads. He's going to have to be patient. He's going to have to take what the defense gives him. And this defense is also going to have to step up too. I'm a little worried about this defense against the very tough, gritty offenses of Windsor and Loveland. I think that those offenses can stay on the field for a very long time, tire out this Falcon defense, and force Caden into a position where he has to score lots of points quickly. And that's exactly where this Red Wolf and Wizard team both want you, right? However, in these first, first six games, they could go 6-0. They could go 6-0 in these first two games. And then maybe they only lose one of these two to Loveland and Windsor before finishing the season 2-0 against two central teams. I think on the very high end, they could be an 8-2 and two squad. Say they lose to South and Loveland. I think that would be the most ideal situation for them. Where say they go own one and then rattle off, you know, six wins, including a tough win against Windsor on the road. That would be critical. So even if you do lose to Loveland in league, you'll still go 8-2. and two And you have a decent chance, I want to say, at a first round bye which would be very nice. This was a team that struggled with health a little bit last season. They were constantly rotating in and out different guys from sophomores to juniors to seniors, right? There were plenty of people who got their hands on the ball, which bodes very well for them as a varsity squad this year. However, that's not a consistent lifestyle that you want to be living. And it's one that's going to land you in holes like the one you were in last year. And then you end up getting a very tough draw in the first round against a very good Vista Ridge team. But you know, I've seen significant strides out of Caden this offseason that has me very optimistic for the things that he can do this upcoming season. And I think that this schedule is a little bit, maybe not more friendly, but this team is just more well adapted to handle the adversity and the challenges of this upcoming schedule. And it makes me very excited for Skyline. And you know, depending on how they do in these big games, I'm looking at South, Windsor, and Loveland. I'd love to double back and talk about their chances as a state contender. But first, folks on Denver South, it will be quite a test. And it is a game I have to look at like the seven other games going on. But it is a game that I hope one of us can make it to. But that does it for this episode of Playmakers Corner. I know it was a long one, so thank you so much for sticking it out. But there's just so many talented teams and so much movement happening at different schools. You have... 
you know, new stadiums being built, you have new schools being built, you have new programs, new cultures being instilled, you have returning cultures and programs that look to establish dynasty or establish a legacy or have a legacy to live up to, right? So just plenty of history in a lot of these squads. There's a handful of state contenders on this episode. I hope that that was one of your biggest takeaways is that the North doesn't mess around and winter is coming or football season is coming, I should say, and that should get you plenty excited. For more updates and season previews on plenty of more episodes, we have episodes coming out usually Monday, Wednesday, Friday with 10 to 12 teams on any of those episodes. We post about all of these episodes on Instagram at Playmakers Corner, Twitter at Playmaker Corner, Facebook Playmakers Corner. We also are posting TikToks at Playmakers Corner where we're doing just quick little one minute snippets, basically previewing their season and talking about their window of wins. So go ahead and give us a follow on there. We're trying to post a lot of that to our YouTube Reels. We're gonna have a stream here on the 4th. So circle that on your calendar. That's the stream that I'm gonna be doing. And other than that, thank you so much for rocking with us. Make sure to like, subscribe, and follow us anywhere you listen to podcasts. I have been your host for this episode, Cody Stoffer, and peace.